Ah, g'day, welcome to the Wage Podcast, the podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life to use music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Thank you. Thank you very much for tuning back in. Uh, episode 61, first episode of 2021, if you're kind of listening to this as it comes out. Uh, look, I hope your you know, New Year's was fantastic. I hope your Christmas was, fa- was fantastic. I hope you got to do whatever it is you wanted to do and how you wanted to do it. I hope that's how it was. If you wanted it chill, then here's hoping it was as chill as it could be. So if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I appreciate you listening. Have, if, you, you know, if, you, if you're that way inclined and you have the time, um, this is episode 61, so there's 60 other episodes to kind of dig back in, uh, as well as at the end of each year, uh, last year being no, no different, I did a you know an end of year list for music that I kind of that was on my radar, so you can go check them out. Um, if you're a long time listener and you're coming back for the you know potentially 61st time, thank you very much. Always appreciated. Hey Holden, hope you're doing well. Um, so as always, the episode is brought to you by Gringo Bandito Hot Sauce. The greatest hot sauce in the world. Look, I'm not even going to front. It's it, it just is. It's the greatest. If you don't believe me, head off. Look, do this. Type this in your browser if you're from Australia. Do do the www.blastoffimports.com. Or don't even do the W. Just do blastoffimports.com if you're from Australia. And uh, click the shop button and go buy it. Just try it. Just try it. Just have a crack at what I think is the best hot sauce in the world. Start off with the red, the original one. Um because it's where it all began and you know fuck give it a few days time get back to me because your life will be like look literally you'll be like i don't know i don't know what i was doing for the last 20 years of this decade anyhow um but 2021 new source new me new beauty um there's a whole bunch of sources there the red one which is the original the green the spicy yellow which is their newest edition which came out about two years ago i think and uh my personal favorite the super hot which you know, super hot is all subjective. Even though it is considered super hot, it's definitely not like a, you know, you're going to regret eating this tomorrow morning kind of hot sauce. It's got a bit of heat to it. A bit of, you know, a few drops here and there on a slice of pizza or just whatever. Whatever whatever food needs to be elevated, throw some gringo bandana on it. You'll be crushing it in no time. Also, uh, my age podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Uh, what's the Podbelly Network, you say? I can hear you say it, like it's one of those weird things, I, I hear you say it as, as I'm kind of recording this in a weird space-time kind of continuum weird thing where like I'm recording it and I hear you in the future saying what is the what is the uh, the Podbelly network. Let me tell you, it's a basically a really cool network of podcasts um, ranging from a whole bunch of different stuff, so if you're into Stephen King stuff, there's a, whole, there's a podcast on that. Obviously, nerd-based stuff, murder, crime, mystery, whatever stuff, um, and little old me, my age podcast, kind of tucked in nicely there. Um, the cool thing about the uh, Podbelly Network is, on their website, there's a whole bunch of information on you know what the best practices are to start a podcast because you should start one. Like, you know, you you might have the time. The lockdowns is kind of not to get too COVID heavy, but like, you know wherever you might be at the moment in Australia especially, well, anywhere in the world actually obviously we're not immune to it um, you might have a few more hours up here in your day, in your week you know, go to the Podbelly website uh, and you can find basically info on how to get ideas in your head in regards to a podcast, I guess, out to the ears of the, the people, the listeners and, you know, software to use microphones to use webs- you know, servers to use, all that kind of jazz it's all up there and you can check it all out and it's fantastic. 
Um, obviously, yeah. If you feel the need, I hate this part, but if you feel the need, or you know you're that way inclined, um, the Mind Podcast is always free. But if you feel, you know, if you think this episode's worth a buck, go to PayPal.me/slash/MyAgePodcast. Drop a dollar, drop five, whatever, whatever you feel like. If you think this episode is worth, you know, something, because it's always going to be free, and I never expect a payment. Um, it's always appreciated. Definitely always appreciated because it kind of. Yeah, it, it doesn't keep the lights on, but it helps keeps keep the lights on, if that makes sense. The metaphorical lights, you know. But, um, yeah, go to paypal.me slash myagepodcast. Flick us a buck, flick us two, whatever. You don't have to. You don't need to. I'm still going to do it if you... Look, if, if, even if you don't, I still appreciate you. Um, if, you you know, if you're that way inclined, myagepodcast.com um, for all the other episodes... Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff yeah again 60 other episodes on there and a couple of original me podcasts which I really want to do more of because I really enjoyed that if you haven't heard I've done two with uh, I did one with Aaron Osborne from the Glavius Maximus podcast who also plays in I Exist and a bunch of other bands and Peter Bordy who who plays in uh, Smash played in Restraint Last Nerve No Apologies yeah the list goes on so today this episode Rayan um, Ray, I, every once in a while I get kind of, not, not flustered, but like, you know, I, I don't know what to say about somebody because I can't, you can't write a, you can't give a quick spiel on them because their impact on music has been so great. Whether they, you know, I'm sure they realise it in some way, shape or form, but like, you know, Ray has been doing the hard-ons for... Fuck! It's nearly forty years. It's <clears throat> it's creeping on forty years now. You know, given obviously they've had their breaks and that kind of thing, but you know they started in the early eighties and uh, yep, still playing strong to this day. Obviously, again with a couple of breaks in between. Um, I remember first meeting Ray at Utopia Records and just thinking he was the fucking coolest guy. I had no idea, had no idea about the hard-ons, but I just think he was the fucking coolest guy and nicest guy. Um, really, really approachable. You know, as a young team going to Utopia, a young team from the suburbs going into Utopia Records, and kind of being not daunted by it all, but like definitely feeling some kind of inferiority or, or poser complex or whatever. Um, going in there and feeling completely, you know, welcomed by these people and Ray especially. Um, so look. You, you, you know, you may be a Die in the Wall Hard-Ons fan, Nunchucker Superfly fan, um, Rayan fan in general. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a fucking blast recording it. Um, it was at a time when kind of, as weird as it sounds, that, like COVID restrictions had kind of eased. Um, but we obviously, we keep it, we keep it, you know, we keep it COVID conscious, if that makes sense, you know. We kind of kept our, kept our distance and did the, did the damn thing, did what you meant to do. Um, and I, f- I fucking love having face-to-face chats because it's so much more personal um, and there's nothing, you know, Skype chats are great or Zoom chats are great and that's fine but um, yeah, I was really, really adamant that I wanted to um, kind of pin Ray down in his studio in Marrickville where the Hard-Ons re- uh, rehearse in uh, Marrickville and he gave me the opportunity and I fucking, I really appreciate it um, hope you like what you hear chill out, do the damn thing and uh, we'll see you at the end of it. Cool.
Alrighty, with me right now, I've got I'm I'm in the very privileged company of someone who has done it all, but probably you know has probably got a million more things to ch- to tick off on his list of things to do. Um, Rayan from the Hard Ons, Nunchucker Superfly, and you know. Utopia, a stalwarter utopia, like the you know the person you think of when you walk in utopia, or the person I think of when I think of utopia. So yeah, twenty years, twenty years. Yeah. that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> that's so wild. How you doing? Really good. What about yourself? I'm doing good. Sydney yeah. traffic's um, as we discussed before the, we hit record. It's it's back to its full strength or almost full strength. Yeah. So that's a fucking nightmare. But yeah. yeah, I'm not a fan. But what can you do? Yeah. What do you yeah. do? You keep yeah. plowing. That's right. Um, so, you know, we've talked about the podcast and kind of, I've given you the rundown of kind of how it goes. Let's talk, let's go way back. Tell us about your parents and kind of, and your upbringing and how music kind of played a part of it or, or did music play a part of it? Um, yes and no. I mean, it, it did when, um, we moved to Australia in 1974, I was nine. Yep. But before that, um... I just like music uh, in the background there, like everyone else. It wasn't a big part of my life at all. Yep. So where but were you born, sorry? Korea. Okay, yeah. yep. And I grew up in an Air Force base because my father was a career military person. Yep. He was like a, a lieutenant colonel. And like he was a fighter pilot in the Air Force. So um, I remember like uh, a lot of really famous American songs. I remember the radio, the military radio yep. used to play uh, American uh, music. and yep. Like rock know, and roll or jazz? Uh, or oh, I remember no, jazz. Cre- Credence. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, Credence, yeah. Uh, things like, uh, uh, y- you know, um, famous um, songs from the 60s like the Beach Boys and that kind of stuff. And, yep. And uh, my dad really liked... Uh, a song called uh, Sloop John B. Yep, yep. Which was from the Pet Sounds album. Yep. So, yeah, he heard that at the radio station that was playing music at the, uh, at the Air Force Base. Yep. So, uh, he, he, um, but besides that, I mean, I, music wasn't a big deal um, until I moved to Australia. And uh, um, what, what prompted the move out here? Well, my, my father was... Um, uh, one of the um, one of the people in charge of uh, looking after the Korean president. Okay. And the Korean president was uh, a, a general in the military that had been made president by the American oh, CIA. They they brought in their own dictator. Or they brought in their own democracy and kind of yeah. yeah. Like so like so he he was like a strong man and uh, so uh, he kind of you know, ruled Korea with a, an iron fist. Yeah. So there was a ten, 10 o'clock curfew at night and that kind of stuff. And my father was um, his personal pilot and one of the team look, looking after wow. his welfare, like, you know, part of the bodyguard team. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty dangerous job. So there, there, was, there was a lot of... Um, a lot of really good uh, pilots in Korea. Like the, the Korea was right up there with the military strength because of uh, the backing of America. So Koreans provided a lot of military personnel yep. all over the world to fly because um, 
good pilots were always in demand. So a lot of his friends from the military academy ended up in Canada, the United States, um, <coughs> the UK. But uh, we, we had the chance to come to Australia yep. because there was a shortage of pilots in Australia. Okay. So there were jobs here. So he came here and got a job here. Um, did, did you – sorry to interrupt. Did you know when you are young, did you understand – I mean, there's only so much depth you can kind of understand what your dad does when you're, you know oh, – I knew what he did. I knew he was a pilot yeah. and I knew he he was in the military. But you didn't – You didn't. it wasn't – the scope of what he actually did wasn't talked about? Not really. No. I mean, I, I didn't know until I, I – I got older and I asked my mum what he did and I asked because my dad didn't really tell me that much but it, my mum would always tell me if yeah. I asked her. Yeah. And, you know, you know cause he, had, he had like lots and lots of medals and stuff like that, bravery awards and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he'd march in the Anzac Day march. Okay, yeah. You know, with the Korean, um, uh, you know, soldiers, yep. you know, with the Korean Air Force, a lot yep. of Korean Air Force people in, in Australia. Yeah. And um, he, he, we moved to Australia uh, because, uh, you know, the the political situation was quite volatile. And um, I think it was like four years later, um, the president got assassinated. So, you know, so the move was vindicated, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he, he, he got killed. Um. And, you know, if my dad was still working for him, he would have been riding the line of fire kind of thing, you know. So, yeah. So it was good that we came here. Yeah. And, but, I mean, just just coming here, the, the, the sense of, you know, freedom was unbelievable, you know. <laughs> you know, just coming here and, and people just staying up late, yeah. you know, walking around the streets at two in the morning if you wanted to, all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, Walking to the city on a train, you know, I look, walking to the train station with barefoot, yeah. getting on the train, going to Hobby Co, buying toy cars and coming back by yourself, <laughs> yeah. no shoes, you yeah. know, just just the whole idea that you're free to do whatever the hell you want, you know, those things I'll, I'll never take them for granted. Yeah. You know, we're, we're really, this is an incredibly lucky country. Oh, you know, my family's so lucky that we came here and and made a fist of it. Yeah. You know, such a... Such a wonderful um, sense of freedom here, you know, and it's something that we didn't have when we were growing up in Korea. When you were when you were growing up there, <clears throat> pardon me. When you were growing up there, were you based on you were based on a military uh, camp I, of sort? Yes, or like yeah, for the first two years of my life. Yep, <clears throat> and then uh, first three years, and then we moved to the middle of Seoul. Okay. Yeah. So, but only for the first three years. Yep. Yeah, and and it was. And we had to get away from the military base because my father, um, when he started working for the Korean president, um, he couldn't stay at the military base. You know, we had to have our own, you know, we had to stay away from there and work in the middle of the city, the yeah. capital, Seoul, you know. Was that because the military was against the president or the president? No, or no, no. no. The, the, he was the military. Oh, sorry, you yeah. didn't say that. Yeah, no, yeah. But no, just because we had to be based in Seoul, okay. which is where... The Korean president was, you know, yep. it was the capital of Korea. Yeah. Yep, so you had to be close by. That's right. That's fucking wild. Yeah. Right, well, it's when I think about what my father went through, Yeah. some of the stories that he told me, it's, uh, you know, there's a huge, um, I mean, you were telling me that your father grew up, he was born in 1950 and he grew yeah. up listening to the Easy Beats and stuff like that. But my father was born in 1935, you know. Yeah. So it's, so he's... 
lived through World War Two. He's lived through the Korean War. Yeah. He's had a lot of his family get killed in the war. Um, his brother got killed in the war. His mum and dad got killed in the war. My my mum's brother was killed in the war. You know, so there's a lot of you know definitely destruction that um, people of my parents' age suffer. I mean, you know, we we're really lucky compared to yeah. you know some of the older folk. You know, that's ins- that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're really lucky. We're living yeah. in a really, you know, there's a pandemic on, but, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky compared to um, what my parents went through. I mean, I was talking to my mum not long ago. Yeah. Um, and she was talking about the pandemic, you know, being a pain in the ass and stuff. She goes, yeah, but, I mean, you know, I lived through World War Two and the Korean War. This is nothing, you know. Yeah, we'll walk this one in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so what about your mum? Did she have, kind of have music on the radar or did anyone play instruments or...? No, I, I went back to, like, we left... Korea in 1974, and I went back once in that whole time. Yeah. And that was in 1997, <clears throat> and um, one of my relatives had a, a, a traditional um, court instrument. Um, it's similar to like a Japanese koto, like yeah. a guitar on its back kind yeah, of yeah. thing. So, and um, and uh, they, they said, look, this, you know, such and such in your family played this, you know, and... You know, you can take it back to Australia with you. And I go, oh, God, I mean, no way. <laughs> Where's that going to fit? Yeah. That's, yeah. You going to pay for excess baggage? Yeah, that's right. Forget yeah. it. Let's just leave it here, you know. But that, that's the only bit of um, musical um, thing that I've noticed in my family. But I don't really know my family at all. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember my uncles. I remember my aunties. But I left in 1974 and so I became detached from them. So all yeah. I really know really, really well is I, my brother and my mum and dad, you know. And my father's passed away. So really it's um, my brother and my mum are the only two that I know really well. I, I mean, you know, I mean, some of my friends, you know, they, they should um, consider themselves lucky that they can go and visit their grandparents or, or, yeah. or their uncles, aunties, cousins, you know. I, I'll, I'll never get to see my cousins unless I just pack, you know, just get the gumption to go and visit them in, in the yeah. States or Korea. But, I mean, yeah, I, I just grew apart from them, yeah. just migrating. But, you know, when we migrated here, we, we were leaving another world behind kind of thing. Yeah. You know, we weren't. We won't, um, yeah, it was such a big deal to leave Korea yeah. because we knew that there was no going back. Yep. Was that kind of an unspoken thing or you all, like, you, did you all know you you were never going back or kind of your parents talked about it and it was just no, kind of kept above at, you? At the time, Korea was such a shithole okay. because, um, because of the military dictatorship yep. and uh, the fact that, uh, I mean, my father was involved in a lot of border skirmishes with the North Koreans and stuff like that. Yep. So there was always the sense of war, you know, there. The war never really finished. It wasn't resolved. Yeah. So it was always like a pretty um, a tense place to live. And, uh, um, you know, if you look at the... the the immigrants of Australia, they come from, they don't come from Norway or, um, yeah, they, they don't come from, you know, Switzerland 
or, or you know, um, Luxembourg. They don't come from rich places. They come from places that have got a reason to send yeah. people. I mean, there are a lot of people from Chile here, right? Yeah. And they live in places like Wollongong and the Illawarra. But when you talk to them, they, they, they came here in the 70s when um, President Alande was assassinated and... Uh, they just knew they had to get and, out. And Pinochet were, was, uh, um, um, you know... Um, uh, you know, rounding up a lot of people, and and so they they were kind of like, uh, well, we we got to get out of here. This yeah. place is volatile. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> if you look at um, Sicilians and um, Calabrians, they they came from a part of Italy that was struggling economically. Yeah. And they came here for a better life. Greeks as well. Yeah. Lebanese. Um, you know, the Dutch came here in the sixties and the fifties for a better life. Yeah. You know. Um, Finland, you know, a, you know, a few Finnish people came here because the Australian government said, we'll, we'll provide jobs for you, you know. So some of the young people went, oh, that yeah, sounds good. Yeah. You know, a lot of people came here with optimism, thinking that they were going to come to a better place, yeah. you know. Um, but, I mean, you know, not, not too many people came from places like, for example, Switzerland. Yeah. It's like... I'm in Switzerland. I'm a millionaire. Yeah, I don't need you know? to leave here. Yeah. yeah, I live in Monte Carlo. I yeah. might migrate to Australia. Yeah. You know? No, I'll stay here, yeah. thanks. I'm yeah. really rich. Yeah. Yeah, so people who come here come for a better life. And so there's some kind of um, finality to it, you know. For us, there was. There was some kind of a closing of a door. Yeah. Like we could never go back. And uh, so it was a... Uh, but when, you know, we were really small kids, you know, me and my brother... So for us... Your brother's younger? Yeah, he was yep. two... I was nine at the time and he was seven. Yep. And so for us, it was a stroll in the park. We're like, hey, nah, you know, we'll make new friends, you know. Because yeah. when you're young, you know, you know you're, not, you're not really afraid of anything. Was it a boat boat trip? No, we, we flew. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my father was a, you know... Of course, yeah. Um, fighter pilot, you yeah. know. He wasn't going to get on the boat with his family. <laughs> yeah, he could have right. flown the jet himself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let me take over, boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
We played that. At, we played Sloop John B at his funeral. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, you kind of touched on it. Moving out to Australia when you're nine years old, it's obviously a different world, based on the fact that you've got all these freedoms and that kind of thing. Um, what you know, this is going to be such an odd question. Right. I, I feel it's going to be odd as it comes out of my mouth. But what is it like as a nine year old, like? Did you speak much English? No, no. Okay. But it, it, that wasn't a big deal. Yeah, because okay. when you're nine, you'll pick up the language in one year. Yeah, know? right. Okay. When, when, before you hit puberty, yep. your, your brain is so... Um, it's, it's such a, a powerful processing thing yep. that uh, you'll pick up the language in no time. So it was no big deal. Okay. No big deal at all. Yep. Yeah. We, we picked up the language really quickly. And you, know? you, move, <clears throat> kind of, you moved straight to Punchbowl? Like, was that kind of... Um, no, we, we started off or? the first place we lived in was uh, McMahon's Point. Okay. Yeah, in Sydney, um, just across the water from Luna Park. Yep. And on Friday nights and Saturday nights, you couldn't get any sleep because you heard people screaming as they <laughs> yeah. went down the Big Dipper. Yep. You could yep. hear people screaming across the water. Wow. And we went to Luna Park with my family not long ago before the pandemic. And um, we we're on a, a, a Ferris wheel and I, and I said to my kids, See that small little white building? That's where, you know, uh, your dad and Uncle Stephen grew up, you know, with Nana, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the apartment's still there where we grew up. Is it really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I went to, me and my brother went to North Sydney Demonstration School and we thought, God, Australia's pretty pretty nice. Yeah. And then we moved to Punchman. It's like, oh, it's not that nice. Yeah, it's got its most. It's all right. Yeah. So was the, um, was my mom's point like, part of the immigration process where they kind of put you there until you settled somewhere else or no no I no we, we we got here and uh you know we just my father was you know he had a job as a pilot so he he was earning good money yep so he you know he, he and mum just put us in a place that just felt nice you know yeah and so it was recommended by other koreans that were living there okay because you know, the other koreans were living in places like French's Forest, yep. um, Forestville, yep. you know, just North Shore somewhere. Yep. And they said, oh, but if you want to be close to the city, just go to North That's Sydney. That, yeah. yeah, so it was nice. And back then, I think it was a bit more affordable. I don't think it's affordable now. I can't see it being affordable now. Yeah. No, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's multi-million dollar views, really, Yeah, because you know, it was right on the water. That's insane. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the apartment... Um, it's still there. It's right on the water. You yeah, know, really nice. Then, cool. then we went to Punchbowl. How do you end up? What happened? Like, what was the transition, and what was the reason to go to Punchbowl? I mean, obviously, you had no part of it. You were just there for the ride. But like, was there work out that way? Or? Yeah, Bankstown yeah. Airport, where my father was ah, going to be based at. Of that, course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we were looking around that region. Yep. Near the airport. And what year was this? Seventy five. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we we were at. Uh, we were at McMahon's Point for only about six months or something yep. until the end of the lease or something. And then we, my father found um, an apartment in uh, uh, Punchbowl. So yep. we moved there. Yeah, that's, how, that's when I met all the guys in the hard-ons yeah. Yeah, from primary school. Yeah, because so like my parents bought or my dad brought a block of land in Milpera, which is obviously 
right next to the airport. Right. Um, in about seventy five, and back then it was the edge of it was the edge of Sydney. Yeah, for it would have been dirt water, roads. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was. There was nothing. Yeah, yeah like chicken farms and that kind of thing. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Reesby was like that too. Apparently, yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So there you go. So you meet the you meet members of the hard ons at Punch Bowl. Uh, no, it was Lakemba Primary. Oh, Lakemba Primary. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and then, yeah. Then we all went to Punchbowl Boys High School together. Yep. Yeah, so I met I met them in 1975. Yep. Yeah. Was was Punchbowl back then a diverse area? Oh, yeah, very much yeah, so. Yeah, okay, yep. Yeah, so Indians, Greeks, lots of Lebanese. Yep. Um, Chinese, um, not so many Polynesians or Vietnamese back then. Yep. But a lot of... Um, Serbian and Croatians as well. Okay. Yeah, um, a few Italians. Um, uh, one of my friends was from Syria. Uh, lots of Middle Eastern um, kids. Yep. Yeah, very, very diverse. But also, like, you know, the 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 English stock as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of them. So, with this newfound freedom, and you know, being being out past ten o'clock, and all the kind of the the things that go along with that. Was did music kind of hit your radar then, or like was was there kind of any music going on around that time that you were kind of that were pricking your ears to? Yeah, because um, when we moved to um, Australia, uh, we saw like uh, music on TV all the time. Yep. So radio wasn't a, a huge deal. Yeah. But TV was. Yep. I mean, I like you know, we love TV, so we'd watch TV every day before going to school, after school, on weekends. Yep. Before going to bed, um, so there was always like music programs on TV, yeah, and and I found it really fascinating. As but, you would, yeah, yeah. But um, my next door neighbour, um, Ian, he was uh, five years older than me. Yep. Um, so he, you know, I'd go to his house and he'd play records and stuff. And he was really into hard rock. He was into okay. Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Kiss. His favourite band was Kiss. Yep. Um, and this would have been as it was happening, yeah? Yeah, 76. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him in 75, 76. Yep. So, um, so he he gave me a cassette of uh, Kiss Alive. Okay. Well, yeah, so yep. it was a pretty new release back then. Yep. So he, he bought it and he taped it for me. Yep. So I had that tape and I played it endlessly. I took it to school and, and you know, we played it in the classroom and stuff with the teacher and stuff. Yeah. Um. And they became my favourite band. And by by the time I graduated primary school, I had every Kiss record that they ever made, yeah, right. which was like you know, a handful. Yeah, yeah. And in '78, I was first year of high school, you know. And these Kiss new Kiss records will come out. Kiss, you know, um, solo records. Yep. Alive too. I just I just go out and buy them with my pocket money. Yeah. So I, you know. So um, they were my favourite band. But David Bowie, I love David Bowie, Skyhawks, all those bands. Yeah. ACDC, loved ACDC. So um, uh, it, it was my next door neighbour that got me into really that kind of, Yeah. What, what, did you, <clears throat> what were your parents thinking about? Like they've obviously got a kind of grasp of American music being on the bass and, you know, listening to um, Beach Boys and Credence and all that kind of thing. But there's a big difference between Beach Boys and Credence and Kiss what was their reaction to Kiss like? Oh, they just, they just bought me a pair of headphones. But they, but they weren't. <clears throat> pardon me. They weren't scared off by the imagery or no, the, no, they, the they, bullshit that goes along with it. No, they, they've been through Korean War and World yeah, War Two. They, they don't care. <laughs> yeah, What's that? Yeah, that's nothing. Right. Yeah, 
it's just, uh, you know, I mean, what's rock and roll anyway? It's fictional anyway. Yep. It's all fictional. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun, right? Yeah. So, I mean, as I got older, I started buying punk rock. Well, some of it was like just, you know, way more over the top. I mean, if you look at, um, I remember um, uh, the Dead Kennedys released their first album, you know, and I bought that when it came out. Yeah. But the one after that one, um, In God We Trust, yep. had the Jesus on a on crucifix. The, with the dollar. A, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just thought that was fantastic. <laughs> but my, you know, my parents would see it and they, it was it was water off a duck's back. They didn't care. Yeah. All the swearing, you know, all the really gross imagery, they, they yeah. didn't care. If that's the worst of it, then yeah, they're doing but, all right. Well, Koreans have a, um, a different... They're offended by different things. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the most, you know, you could just make, you know, I mean, just Gigi Allen, the mentors, yeah. the plasmatics, you know, the sex pistols, the, the, the you know, I mean, um, the dead Kennedys. None of them would have made a dent on my mum and dad. Nothing. Yeah, right. Yeah. They would have been offended by... That would have been offended by um, somebody at a bus stop spitting on the ground. That would be more offensive to them. Wow. You know, people. You know, they, you know, they're, they're elderly Koreans are offended by different things. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> do you, is there something you can kind of pinpoint that to? Like, is it as you're saying this? All I can think of is like, well, you know, the freedom, this newfound freedom, and, and then which gets added to that, the freedom of expression, hmm. they just see it as an expressive thing where spitting is a disrespectful no matter where you do it or... I think it's from a different culture. Yeah. So for example, um, uh, I, I, I studied Indonesian language and culture for a while there. Okay. Uh, one year at university yep. and, you know, six years at in high school. So, I, I, you know, I've been to Indonesia and met a lot of Indonesian people and I know a little bit about the place. Yep. I can speak the language. Yep. So I can say that when I some Indonesian people that I met are actually they they, they found you know the you know the Australian behaviour in places like Bali, you know like the skimpy bikinis, yep. visiting um, a sacred site and that kind of stuff. They find that offensive. Yeah. Uh, the, well, the, yeah. the Balinese actually are Hindu, yeah. and not only are they Hindu, but they're also animists as well. So they believe in spirits in in the water, in the in the in nature, and things like that. Okay. And um, some Balinese believe that there are spirits, evil spirits, in the water. So they're, they're not fans of water. Some a lot of Balinese, and um, they 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 you know I've been told by um, a couple of my Balinese friends from a long long time ago. They said you know yeah we used to find you know. Men and women wearing very little on the beach. We've, you know, some of us found that it's, you know, um, offensive. Yeah. But then, if you go to Java, um, they're the same. But you know, they they find some uh, underdressed um, uh, Tourist. white tourists yeah, yep. offensive. But then again, they don't find. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, say. So there's like a homosexual couple, yeah, and and a group of vigilantes charge in through the door, 
and make a citizen's arrest and publicly flog them and the police turn a blind eye to it, yeah. they don't find that offensive, you know? So it's cultural. So, right. uh, yeah, so everyone has a different slant on what is offensive and what isn't offensive. Yeah, that makes sense. You know? So, so for example, um, <coughs> Murray yep. from the Hard-Ons, he went to Indonesia with his band Captain Cleanoff and yep. he said he set up the merch table and the people next to him are selling fake Captain Cleanoff T-shirts <laughs> at his own gig. At his own gig. And I said, well, didn't anyone see that as being ethically wrong? He goes, no. They don't find piracy offensive at all. And he said, look, we find piracy offensive. These people at this gig, these Indonesian people, don't find piracy offensive. And I said, well, it's, it's a cultural thing. Yeah. So, you know, to answer your question, you know, culturally speaking, peop different people find different things offensive. Yeah. You know? So my parents didn't find rock and roll offensive at all. They just found it um, uh, annoying and uh, uh, fictional. Yep. You know? Bit of a laugh. But, yeah. you know, they, they didn't find anything offensive. I mean, they... they I remember them letting me watch um, a TV show called Number Ninety Six and the Box. They had they Is had a prison show. No, these were like uh, um, dramas in the mid seventies. Okay, right. There was a lot of female nudity in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd go to go back to school and go, oh, yeah, I watched uh, the Box the other day, uh, the other night. They go, your parents let you watch? Oh, yeah. It's like, well, my parents don't let me watch it. I go, well, they're not Korean. You know? yeah. <laughs> my parents don't find find that uh, wrong, you know. Yeah. But it's a different cultural thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what's wrong or right. It's just different. What can you do? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> do, you, do you have a kind of, do you have a kiss song that, or a song that kind of sums up when you first started experience rock and roll that kind of, this is the, this is the song that kind of really moved you? Yeah, um, Rock and Roll Night by Kiss. Because yeah. That, yeah, that was off the, a live album. You want yeah. to do the live album? Oh yeah, yeah. We'd, yep. we'd, yeah, like I'd go to Ian's house and we'd play that really loud when his <laughs> when his grandmum wasn't there. Yeah. yeah.
great, great song. Yeah. So how do you? How are you getting music? How are you getting music? Like you said, you know, you said you're watching on TV and radio was there, mm. but wh- like, where was your neighbour buying it from? And then you said, well, oh, you were buying yeah. de- uh, Dead Kennedys and Sex Pistols yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Well, where were you getting it from? Well, we had cassettes. Yep. So we'd buy cassettes from the like. Um, you're probably too. You, well, you might be old enough to remember the, the, the suburbs are full of record bars. Yeah, full of them. You know, every mall had a record shop. You yep. know? An independent so, record shop. Well, yeah, yeah, all over the place. Yeah. So I was, you know, in 1976, I was buying cassettes. And in 1977, I was buying records because at the beginning of 1977, my parents bought us a record player. Awesome. Yes, and that's when... As like a family thing? Or, yeah, yeah, as okay. a family thing, but it was mainly... I was I was in, you know... You were the captain of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd, I'd sit at the captain's bridge and play. Yeah. It, it, so it was... I was a guy that was buying all the records. My parents would buy records for themselves and, and they would have it on one shelf and then I would have another little shelf where I'd keep my records and, yep. and my records just outpaced them. <laughs> By the time I was like 13 or 14, I yep. had hundreds of records. Yeah, right. Hundreds, you know. So I'd spend all my pocket money. On that, on yeah. yeah. So, But how are, like, how are these record stores... Is it is it a, is it by chance that you were getting more underground stuff or um, well, like yeah oh, how right. did, where does that come into it? Well, I got into um, hard rock and classic rock through Ian, my yep. next door neighbour, but um, uh, punk rock was uh, a big deal when I was a little kid. Right, a huge deal. I mean, the, you know, Ian um, gave me a copy of. Um, uh, Sex Pistols uh, single that he bought, um, yeah. God Save the Queen, with a picture sleeve. Yep. Yeah. So he he bought it when he came out, and then he played it a couple of times. He goes, oh, you want this? I go, yeah. <laughs> and I just... <laughs> Have you still got it? Yeah, I still got it. And I'm still... Ian's going to listen to this because yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna uh, send him the link to yep. this podcast. Oh, fantastic. And, he, and he'll hear it. And, yep. And... Um, Send him the Discogs link as well. Is it, it's got to be worth something. Uh, it's the original uh, from 1977 on yeah. Wizard. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, Wizard, what's, what's Wizard? Is that oh, the Australian? That was, a, that was the Australian. Okay. Like, yeah, right. So it came out on uh, EMI. Yep. Uh, not EMI, Virgin. Virgin, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, in Australia, it came out on Wizard, Wizard. Uh, through RCA Records. Okay. So he gave me that and I played it. I was like, oh, my God. God, he's an idiot. He gave me this record. It was so good. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, and, and I just couldn't stop buying punk records because there's so many new punk bands that were coming out. Yeah. Just everywhere. So you, you just couldn't get away from it. So um, that was you, – you start noticing these things like in the late 70s, people stopped wearing flared pants. They started wearing like straight legs. Yeah. And the hair didn't have – you know, that long flowing hippie hair started disappearing, re- being replaced by like the spikier hair. Okay. You could, I mean, the B52s came out in 1979, and when I saw them on TV, I was like, right. I saw Rock Lobster on yep. TV in yeah, 1979. Yep. I went, right. I just ran straight to the record shop and I just went, B52s have plucked it out there. Like the Rock Lobster single? Or no, the, first the whole album. album. Yeah, fantastic. I just couldn't yeah. believe it. <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. So is this on Countdown? You saw it or was like, because Rage wasn't a no, thing in the late 70s. No, 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 no. Uh, it would have been one of the TV shows. Like, yeah. like after school, there'd always be a music show. Okay. Yeah, and so there was this 
TV show called Right On um, when I was in high school. It's so, so I'm talking like 1978, 79. Yep. And the woman who hosted it, Kobe, um, she, um, like I know her personally and she'll probably be listening to this because I'm going to send her the yep. link as yeah. well. But, <laughs> but she, she um, used to pick her own film clips as well. So when I met her, I said, hey, listen, who picked all all those film clips. Yeah. Did you have a say in it? She goes, oh, yeah. Okay, so the first time I heard um, uh, Jamie's Crying by Van Halen, 1978, you you picked it. Yeah, I was a big fan. Okay, what about um, Fever of Love, no, 1978 by The Sweet? Yeah, that was me. I, Science Friction by XTC. Yeah. I've only ever seen that film clip once and it was on your show. She goes, yeah, yeah, I picked that. I was like, oh, my God, you've influenced my life, you know. So what an amazing concept that, that the the she, host she was eighteen at the time. That's that's even more wild. Yeah, yeah. But like the host actually has is is steering it. Like it's because you you could imagine that nowadays, if there was such a thing nowadays, it would be all bought and paid for behind the scenes of oh, so. well, what, what, what radio is now kind of thing. It's just well, isn't that what happened on Triple J? You you all these bands would get together and go, oh my. God, we've got to get played on Triple J, otherwise we don't have a career. What are we going to do? It's a youth network. We have to get on Triple J. Yeah. Well, what do we do? Okay, well, we'll what get, to get, get to get a, a, a package, send it to the middle-aged man in charge of programming, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and beg and beg and beg, and they'll have that staff meeting with all the other program directors. Going, with with 50 other songs that yeah. week. What are we going to do? Oh, we're going to have to pretend. We're going to have to pretend that we're like 18-year-old school children from Ballarat. Yeah. But we're not. We're we're middle-aged guys in our fifties living in the suburbs of Sydney. Well, no, we've got to pretend we're like eighteen-year-old kids in Ballarat. <laughs> then we'll get played. Then we'll get on. Yeah. yeah. Well, why do you want to get played on Triple J? Well, because well, I want a career. Damn it! It's, yeah, I need that. I need <laughs> yes. that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's amazing that you that yeah again. What was the show called? Right on. It, yeah, right on. There you yeah. go. That's so, so we'd watch that TV show after school every day. Yeah. And then there was also another TV show that Daryl Summers used to okay. have with Ozzy Ostrich, and they used to play film clips as well. Like pre-Hey Hey Saturday? Oh, way, way before. Yeah. Right, okay. They used to have um, – Daryl and Ozzy used to have a, a show on – on Saturday morning called Hey I Hate Saturday. It, was, it wasn't like... Um, it wasn't the adult-based No, no, it yeah, was a kid's right. show back then. It, yeah, so back in 1978 and 79, it was a kid's show, right? 77, I guess it was like 77, 78. It was a kid's show and they'll, they'll play film clips and stuff like that. I remember seeing The Wild Side of Life by Status Quo. Okay. On that show, Film so that, yeah, so that would have been like seventy six or seventy seven. Yeah, yeah, but there was like music shows all the time, and there was a TV show called Donnie Sutherland's um, Sounds Unlimited on Saturday mornings. Yep. and so you you turn it on, and it was like they they would basically play without any sort of sense to the programming like uh, you know when you watch Rage there's no sense to the programming sometimes you watch something goes, this is from 1967 yeah and then the next one it's like this is from last year yeah, yeah. Uh, who's programming this it's all over the shop it's like a dog's breakfast but then you 
I'm like, I don't know, you turn on Triple J radio, it's like, okay, this is from last week. Yeah. This is from the week before. Yep. This is from two weeks ago. And it's like, it's the, you know, it's contemporary and, and you know, um, you know, driven by some market, yeah. marketing um, paradigm, you know. Yeah, yep. Whereas these shows in the 70s, it's like, who's, pro- why are they playing this? So one morning you'd, you'd be watching it, it's like, you know, this is, you see Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, come on. You know the film clip? Yeah, yep, yep. Like, oh, Okay, I need to buy this. <laughs> you know, and then another time they play New Race by Radio Birdman. Yeah, right. Okay. Live at Padding Town Hall. They just play it. You go, oh, geez, that, that's that's incredible. <laughs> Look at this, you know. Um, and then another time I remember they said, oh, we're going to do a special just on Kiss. So for the next two hours, it's nothing but Kiss. Did you have a VCR, like, reading? No, no, no. Well, okay. We didn't have VCRs back yep. then. Right. So, um, so there was just music all the time yeah. for kids, you know. And when, when punk happened, um, all these new wave bands like Devo and the B-52s, Blondie, the Ramones, they were being played on TV, you yeah. know. That's so, oh, yeah, it was XTC, The Cure. I remember when The Cure first came out, you know, there was a song called 10.15 on a Saturday night. Yep, yep. I remember seeing it on TV. This is a new band from England, you know.
what so what year did you hit high, what year did you go to high school? Seventy eight. Seven. There was uh, year, year seven in nineteen seventy eight. When did you? When did you pick up an instrument, and what made you pick it up? Um, in nineteen eighty, uh, we were in year nine. Yep. So I would have been fourteen. Uh, Blackie would have been thirteen. Cash from the Hardons would have been fourteen. Um, You're all in the same grade. Yes. Yep. Yeah, we're in year nine. Um, I remember like uh, we. Um, we were in a uh, play area and there was this group of kids like milling around. And I go, well, I wonder what's going on here. So I went over and, and I saw Kesh and Blackie right in the middle of the throng and they had this um, cassette player and they were playing this this music. It was like kind of like boogie. Goes, dun, 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 dun. I'm thinking, oh, this is great. It's like, um, because at the time, we all thought the Australian music sound was hard rock, boogie, okay. you yeah, know, yeah, like yep. Billy Thorpe, yep. ACDC, yep. you know, <clears throat> Angels to a certain degree, yeah. Skyhooks. Yep. We thought that was the Australian sound. And then these guys are playing this music, you know. And I'm there going, what's going on here? And Blackie's like, I've got a band. I go, well, have you now? And Kiss goes, yeah, I'm in the band too. I go, well, who's playing drums? Brendan. Brendan's our friend. I yep. go, you're playing drums? No, I didn't know you could oh, play drums. Oh, because Kiss was playing guitar, yeah? He was playing guitar. Yep. But they would swap instruments. Right, okay. You know? I go, I need to form a band. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So, you know, one of the kids up the road had an acoustic guitar and yep. I'd borrow it and you know, a chord book, I'm going to learn guitar, you know. And then we had a school assembly at the end of the year, 1980. Right towards the end of 1980, there was a school, end of school um, assembly. Yep. And three boys from uh, the senior classes, like the whole 17 yep. or something, they had this band and they played this, had this instrumental band and they sounded a bit like the Angels. Okay. And they played and we saw them and it was really exciting because I was just jumping around and it was really loud and the drummer was going nuts. Yeah. And all the kids just started, all the school kids started just going crazy. I went, we all got off our seats. And I just, I saw Black here and I said, I'm going to form a band. And he goes, I'm already in the band. I go, I oh, know. And I, and I was like, I need to, I need to join this band. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they they had a bass player, Peter Bransgrove, um, who was a you know, pretty good friend of mine as well, a really nice guy. Yep. Like, to this day, I, you know, still a really nice guy. I mean, we write to each other on Facebook and stuff. Yep. Super nice. But, you know, one day Blackie comes up, right, and, he, and he, Blackie and Kesh, like, they, I see him in the playground. Like, you, 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 know, you know Bransgrove? I go, yeah. Uh, he's a bit too hard rock. I go, what do you mean? Well, he's like, like Ted Nugent, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple. I go, so they're good bands. You know, you have a, you know, not enough Public Image Limited. You know, not enough Japan. Yeah, you know, not enough Dead Kennedys, Sex yeah. Pistols, The Damned, that kind of stuff. You know, none. Of, he's he's more into the hard rock stuff. I go, right, okay, Julian Oda. I go, <laughs> I go home. I go. Mom, buy me a bass. <laughs> so I, I bought a bass. Yep. And uh, 
I went up the black and kitchen and I bought a base. And then I, uh, I said, let that sit with you for a while. Yeah, yeah. I bought a bass. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say I could play it. Yeah. I said I bought a bass. Oh, you didn't lie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and Blackie rings me up one day. He goes, did you really buy a bass? I go, yep. Goes, Can you play it? I go, no. Nope. He goes, right, you're in the band. <laughs> That's amazing. The town's done. Yeah. And I go, what about Peter Bransgrove? He goes, oh, oh look, he's the best guy in the world, but and he, he's a... He's a better bass player than you. I go, well, everyone's a better bass player than me. Yeah. I don't know how to play bass. He goes, yes, but, you know, you like punk more. So I think we can fit better ideologically. Yeah. So I, I felt terrible about it. But it's like, man, I mean, even back then I, I, I thought that, God, this this is going to be something, you know. Yeah, this, right. this is going to be something. Because you just never met three people so wanting to do something. It was just unstoppable. So we formed the band and within two weeks we played our first gig. I two weeks <laughs> never played in my life. Yeah. The only thing I could do was get an acoustic guitar and play a few open chords. Yeah. On an acoustic. That was it. Bass? I did well theoretically it should be easier. It's got less strings. Yep. One one it, string at a time one note at a time. It wasn't the case. Yeah right. Okay. <laughs> the first week was a real struggle. The second week was less of a struggle, and at the end of the second week, we're playing a gig, right? Fuck yeah. I've still got the photo from that gig. Amazing. It was um, a, a, a house party at Kesha's house. Yep. And it was full of Sri Lankans. So we played, first song, and then the whole Sri Lankan crowd just erupts. You know, it was like playing in New Delhi or something, or yeah. Colombo. Yeah, they just... Originals or covers? Uh a lot of originals okay. that Blackie and Kesha wrote. Yep. Uh, and covers by bands like the Buzzcocks. Yep. I think we did. Yeah, the Buzzcocks. I think we might have done um, Pretty Vacant by the Sex Pistols or something yep. like that. This is like 19. So this is 19. 82. Yeah. This is 82 February or something like that. And by the end of 82, by the end of 82, we changed the name to the Hard-On. So in October 1982, we changed the name to the Hard-On. What was it? Before that, it was called um, uh, the Plebs. Right. P-L-E-B-S, yep. Plebs. And uh, uh, we, but that whole year in, 80, in 82, we just played just party after party after party, you know. Yeah. And... Um, you mentioned that, <clears throat> pardon me, you mentioned that, like, this was, you thought this was going to be a thing. Yeah, yeah. What, we'll, we'll like, when you're, when you're first starting out, what's the, because I can't, I mean, look, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't imagine, like, touring the world several times for the next 30, 40 years was ever on the cards. It was for Blackie. Was it really? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, well, I mean, like, he'll tell you until he's blue in the face. He, he, he saw this coming. Like, wow. seriously, I mean, like, I'm, I'm there going, like, the first time we are in a Tarago going to Melbourne, I'm there going, I can't believe this is happening, Yeah, you know? yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and, and the first time we played at a party, it's like, I can't believe I'm on stage. It's only been two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mum bought me a bass two weeks ago, I'm already yeah. on stage. Yeah. Well, not on stage. Well. In a Sri Lankan household. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> 
you know, right next to the kitchen. You're the centre of attention, yeah. It was great. Yeah. And and by by the by the end of eighty two, we'd played a whole year of like school dances, parties, um, you know, all sorts of get togethers and that kind of stuff. You know, lots lots of police coming and smashing up the party. it down, yeah. Oh yeah, it was great fun. Yeah. It was really good. And in eighty three, we did the same. You know, it was like we, we we're going, we're watching all these bands play. We're just going every weekend watching bands play, or playing playing parties. Yep. And we're like, we need to get a gig, you know. And Blackie's like, well, I'm 17, you know, and none of our parents were going to take us to chaperones or anything. So I was like, yeah. okay. So as soon as Blackie turned 18, which was the next year, we started playing in pubs. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. But, but by then, we'd done two years of playing at parties and um, hanging out with people who are older than us yep. in, in bands. Yep. So we got to know all these people in bands and stuff like that. What what bands were kind of uh, kicking the, around? Um, the psychotic turnbuckles. Yeah. Uh, the lime spiders. The celibate rifles. Right. All these bands were kicking around. Yeah. And we wanted to play with them, and we you know we knew them, so we were just hassling them for gigs and stuff like that. And they were like, you know, <laughs> come back when you're older. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know that old. Um, you know you don't want to fall into the trap of. Um, uh, putting these kids on stage and getting into trouble with the licensing police, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So come back when you're old and it's black. You turn eight. I'm eighteen. Right, yeah. Let's play a gig. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what we did. That's amazing. Yeah. So have you got a kind of song that sums up that part of your life? Like the, I guess you know, the world starts to open up for you and. Oh yeah, because we a, a song that we used to cover was a song called um, um, "Fun." By uh, the Thought Criminals. Okay. Yeah, they were, they were like um, real big heroes of ours. Okay. So we, are they, I, I know nothing about them. What's their? Are they local or? They're from Sydney. Okay. From you know the the late seventies. Yep. And they, um, the lead guitarist went to form a band called Do Re Mi. Okay. Um, and they became hugely successful in the charts. Yep. Roger Greeson, um, the bass player. Ended up forming a label called Green Records, and he put out things like the New Christ first record and stuff. Yep. Like, and he was involved in bringing the Dead Kennedys out to Australia and things like that. Yeah, right. So when the Dead Kennedys came out in 1983, he brought them out, yep. and he was managing the Johnnies at the time and things like that. Yeah. So you know, to this day, I'm still friends with him. So, um, though, but you know, the Thorkins are hugely influential to us because they were a punk band. They're from Australia. They're from Sydney, yeah, and they were they had their own record label, so they were, they were, and they had incredible songs, so yeah. they were hugely influential to to, to us. <laughs> I 
insane so what this is going to sound like an odd question right but what do you attribute the success of the hard-ons to and the longevity of it to um like oh uh, the the success is um two things yep um just um unbreakable sense of self-belief yep um just this idea that there's no way in hell we're gonna be a bad band not that we're going to be successful or anything, but yeah. there was no way in hell that we were going to be bad. We were going to be good no matter what. Yep. Even from even from the very first time we played on stage, we were going to be good. Yeah. We had this belief. I don't know where that came from, but I, I attribute it more to Kesh and Blackie. Okay. Because they were... Um, they were there before me. Yep. And so they had this band for a whole year um, before I joined the band and changed the name to the hard-ons and that kind of stuff. And they had this belief that they what they were doing was good. And so when you go into a band situation armed with this belief that you can't fail, yeah, not you know, make a million bucks or play in front of a lot of people, but you can't fail um, artistically, yeah. then, um, you know... You convince yourself that you're good. That's one thing. And the second element is that the songs are actually good. Yeah. So, okay, I mean, we've got lots of good songs. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think we've got lots of good songs. And uh, whether people disagree with us or not, it doesn't, that, that's irrelevant. If, if I think we've got good songs, it's all that matters. Yeah. So that creates its own force and inertia yep. and off you go you play in front of five people ten people twenty people it doesn't really matter I mean when we first played the first gig we ever did it was like about a hundred people there okay you mean you mean Kesha's house or the first actual no the actual pub gig, gig. Yep, yeah yep. it was about a hundred people there maybe a little bit less yeah um, do you still remember the, the yeah. do you still remember the venue okay, yeah the Balkan Hotel oh was it really yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah but I mean I mean people went crazy yeah and was successful from that first gig, but you know, in my mind, that was the first pub gig. But we'd been playing f- at parties for two years, mm. you know, and so we we convinced ourselves that we were worthy, you know. Yeah. So, um, and the the main driver in that was Blackie. Okay. Yeah. He 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 he's not a shrinking violet. He's like, right, we'll do we'll do we'll do this, and we'll do it that way. These are the songs. Let's go and practice them. And he's just relentless. And yeah. uh, 
And uh, yeah, he's so he's so he's a driving force in the band, you know. Yeah. And um, and and somehow, uh, you know, three migrant kids convincing, trying to convince everybody that they're good. It's quite funny, you know, quite, quite yeah. hilarious. So, yeah. you know, I'd come up with artwork to go along with the band yep. and it was always based on humour. Yeah. And none of it was really serious. We just did not take ourselves seriously. Yep. Um, so I think people liked, liked us when we started because if you juxtapose our presentation, you know, three kids in wearing thongs, right? Yep, yep. Um playing with bands that had, like, hair teased up and pointy black boots yeah. and paisley shirts. Styled up, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we, we were like a... We were like, ah, oh, you know, it's it's an incredibly um, seductive and powerful thing to be involved in, a, a, a band that has nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, so... And that's how you took it. Yeah, yeah, you know, so it, yeah. Well, I mean, if it comes to nothing, so what, you know? What, <clears throat> did you ever... Feel, I mean, you obviously... How do I kind of word this one? What was your like the collective experience or yours individually? Um, was the was the other band were the other bands you were playing with and were the crowd were they open to the concept of these three immigrants playing music or like yeah there must have been there must have been times where there were like road not roadblocks per se but like where people were like what the like who the fuck is this you know. Um. Um, on the whole, it's been it was. I mean, we got banned from a lot of places. Okay. Um, not just because of the name of the band, because but we were like, um, because we had a pretty uh, wild live show where okay. we, you know, we'd just run amok and <laughs> yeah. sometimes we'd throw things off the stage and you know there'd be fights at gigs and yep. sometimes there'd be skinheads. You know, they were like you know pretty action packed things. Before you go on, yes. It, yeah, you you just kind of touched on something when you said you got banned because of the name. Yeah, for a bunch of guys, or you know, for mm. Blackie, mm. To who thought this was going to be a thing, mm. like this was going to be a long lasting thing. Yeah, the Hard Ons is a really interesting name to pick because it sets up a barrier. It's not like some random word. Like I'm looking at the word Jansen because there's that cab there. It's not like just some random word like Jansen where it can be used for anything. The Hard Ons. Is a sexually yeah, you know, that's explicit right. name. That's right. So and what, that kind of foresight of like, no, we're gonna we're yeah, gonna take this and we're gonna be called the Harlons as well. Yeah. So what we're saying to people is like, we don't care about being popular. Yeah. We don't care about anything. We just care about being good. Yep. So we're not forming the band to become household names. Yeah. Or to become popular. You know, we just want to be a good band. Yep. So we've picked a name that says, right, it's obvious they don't want to be chart heroes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they picked the wrong name. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, you know, we, and then as we were playing and we we're getting, the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and there were Nazi skinners coming to the shows and, you know, giving us zigales and stuff like that at gigs and there'd be fights. I'd, I'd get a glass shav, you know, like, hit over my head by a skinhead and all that kind of stuff. All these things started to happen. But our fans started getting bigger and bigger, so there was always, like, people who really loved the band. Um, you know, there was all this controversy about the band as well. We'd have band meetings about, who haven't we angered? Who haven't we pissed off? <laughs> yeah, who's our next target? What are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, you know, one, one day, you know, 
some Nazis beat up one of our friends. So we, the next single had um, the three of us dressed as uh, Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, and and we just went, and then he says white folks suck on it, you know, and you can see. <laughs> so it's like okay, well, how do you combat? You know, the only thing we we knew was to combat racism through art and humour. You know, humor, and that's yeah. what, you know that's what we that was our stock trade. You know, so that's what we did. Yeah. So where did, <clears throat> pardon me, where did the art, like, were you always a drawer as a younger kid or? Yes, where I was. The, Yeah, right, okay. So just kind of something that's been with you all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I always um, uh, took bits of paper in with me everywhere I went, like right. in my back pocket. Yeah. And my grandfather, my mother's father was a really good artist, so yep. he'd always encouraged me to draw. So Little did he know you were going to be drawing KKK. Oh, like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. No, no. He, 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 he encouraged me to draw all the time, and yeah. and so when Black and Cash formed that band, the Plebs. Yep. Uh, before they, before they were called the Plebs, they were called the Dead Rats. Okay. And uh, when they were called Dead Rats, they asked me to draw pictures for them, you know, um, for their demo cassettes and stuff like wow. that. So I, I was their artist before. <laughs> before you were the bass player. Yeah, exactly. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So how does the band kind of blow up and the touring happen? Because it's hard enough to kind of get overseas nowadays with, with the trail that's been blazed by bands like yours to get overseas and the touring and all that kind of thing. How did you do it? When did you first start going overseas and how the fuck does that all pan out? Um, um, we, we um, I think we, the timing was really good for the hard-ons. Okay. So there was this pub circuit. So... Um, You'd easily get three to four gigs a week, so you'd be playing non-stop, wow. non-stop. So, uh, unfortunately, when we were doing a lot of gigs, I was studying. I was a student. Yep. So it was a little bit hard getting you know, graduating from university because it was a four-year course. Yeah. The f whole four years I was at university, between the ages of eighteen to twenty-one, I was with the hard-ons the yep. whole time touring, and. Uh, uh, but, I mean, you couldn't say no to gigs, so many gigs, but uh, I did a course, social work course, which meant that I had to just do the last two years was mainly practical work. Yeah. So that was okay. I mean, I'd, I'd go away on tour on a, on a Thursday and come back and they'd go, okay, you need to make up five days here, so you have to stay behind and make up five days doing practical work. So I did yeah. that, so it was no big deal. But uh, towards the end of... Um, uh, 87, we got offered a tour of Europe and America because we had a, our record company at the time was in Australia, Waterfront Records. Yep. In England, it was called uh, Vinyl Solution. They were based in Portobello Road in London. Okay. And in America, it was called uh, Tang Records in Boston. Oh, right. You're yeah. on Tang. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. There you go. So we, 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 um, we wanted to go to, uh, England, uh, UK, uh, and uh, Europe, and then America in 87, but I was still at, uh, uh, studying, you know, so um, so the band kindly waited for me to graduate, and then the next year, 88, we went to America and Europe. Off you yeah, go. Yeah. Fuck. But before that, I, I didn't, I mean, we toured Australia like nonstop, but I couldn't go overseas. Yeah, yeah. Because back then, flights were so expensive that... Uh, we used no to, discount airlines back then. No, we used to, we used to go for four months at a time. Okay. Yeah. 
yeah. at minimum four months we'd yeah. have to tour you know so now we just go for two weeks we go to Europe for two weeks and come back you know? oh, so you're still kind of getting over there every once in a while yeah I mean this year in October we were supposed to go to Scandinavia but we you know this coronavirus thing happened yeah so that would have been our 20th trip to Europe fuck yeah I know I mean, it's like 20, <laughs> 20 times it would have been your passports on number over the years would look amazing um yeah, yeah, we, we, we used to go to, uh, we used to travel through um, East Germany to get to Berlin and stuff like that and have to drive through East Germany and stuff like that and it was like going to another planet, you know. Wow. So, yeah, those early days of touring was like, pretty fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really fascinating. We went to Czechoslovakia before, you know, Czech Republic and uh, Slovakia split. split and, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, and we, to, to play or just to kind of drive No, through? no, we played. We played in wow. Prague, yeah, when it was called Czechoslovakia and okay. stuff. Okay. Yeah. So we used to go to France before when you had to go to uh, the embassy and get French visas and stuff like that. You don't have to do that now, but you had yeah. to. Uh, so we did all that. It was really fun. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot easier now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So have you got, <clears throat> pardon me, have you got some kind of music that kind of, I guess, sums up? We went with the your high school heroes. Have you got something that kind of sums up the touring life and the all that kind of jazz of like you know other bands you play with or something that kind of pin a flag to this this song reminds me of that era like you know your mid twenties mid to late twenties and you're kind of oh yeah what is your oyster when when we uh, used to um, when we used to tour uh, uh, American Europe we used to always bump into a band called the Doughboys okay yep. yeah. And so any Doughboy song would be great. Yeah, we they're, they're from Canada. Oh, they can. I thought always thought they were from Chicago. Okay, no, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We used to bump into them all the time. They were a really great band. Yeah, really right. good. Yeah.
are there any with you know? I'm sure there's a billion of them, but like, <clears throat> have you got any kind of PG stories from like that? Just one thing that you'll kind of tell the story you'll tell till your deathbed kind of thing from touring. Um. Yeah, we played a, without oh, incriminating anybody. No, no, yeah. We played we played this big big gig with um, Agnostic Front in '88. It was Agnostic Front, and before Agnostic Front, it was Scream. Yeah, you know that Scream with DC Dave Grohl. Yeah, and before Scream, it was it was the Hard Ons, and before us, it was a band called um, Fidelity Jones, who used to be called Beef Eater from DC. Okay. Before them, it was um, oh, who else was it? It was Grim from Boston. Um, a whole bunch of other hardcore bands. It was like so. It was like. Oh, Verbal Assault. Yeah, well, okay. yeah, they, they yeah. played. They played just before us as well. Where was the show? Uh, Rhode Island. Okay, yeah, right. but the headliner was Agnostic, Agnostic Front. Front. Yep. So I'm, I'm talking like um, a thousand people with shaven heads. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so weird, you know, because there's this guy wearing a screwdriver T-shirt when we're playing, and he's standing there with his arms folded, staring at me. And then we started playing. He started going crazy. He's like this huge circle, just spinning around. Just they're all dancing in a circle, spinning around. And and after the gig, I went up to Kesh. I go, hey, um, there was a skinhead with a screwdriver shirt going crazy at it uh, in the pit. He goes, yeah, charming, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was really weird, you know. Oh, seeing, I can only imagine. Yeah, but I mean, I guess he enjoyed the show. Yeah, yeah but it was just a really weird. Yeah, it was just just a strange uh, a gig, you know. Um, yeah. We we hadn't played in front of a thousand people with shaven heads before, well, you know. That was yes. quite that was quite strange, you know. And it went down well. Yeah, everyone seemed to like it. Sold yeah. a lot of shirts. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Cool. We, yeah, we played with um, um, a, a few days later. We played uh, with um, we played with. All. Okay. That's right, yeah. They were touring for their debut album and the, we were on the we were on first. Yep. We were on first and then a band called Government Issue. Yep. And then after Government Issue it was DOA. Okay. And then after DOA it was all. And that was at uh, City Gardens in, in New Jersey. And that was it was like a thousand people there. It was nuts. Yeah. And I'm there going, Well, we're playing with DOA and all and Government issue, they're all incredible bands. All, all fantastic bands. Yeah. And fantastic people. It was, it was great. Were, were Tang really pushing your album? Or yeah, you, they, yeah. yeah, they were doing a good job. Yeah. yeah. and Because we, we knew a lot of Tang bands, you know, like Jerry's Kids. Yep. And, yeah. And uh, uh, Gangrene. Yep. And uh, The Lemonheads. Yeah, we did. Well, Lemonheads on Tang. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah the right. first few records. So we, we played with Lemonheads in New York. The way our label mates, uh, there was a band called Slapshot. Yep, yep. Yeah, we played with them. The way our label mates, and um, and and then the year after, <laughs> we're playing at the the Rat Club in Boston. Yeah, and the support band was Jerry's Kids. Yeah, right. They were on the tang as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And oh my god, that's that legendary hardcore band. They're the support band. They're the support. It was really bizarre. Fuck, you know? that's insane. It was really, really weird. <clears throat> so yeah. then. 
let's skip forward to kind of, I guess, how a lot of people will also know you, which is Utopia. Right. How does that kind of, how did that, because you've been there, I'm not sure if we said it on the podcast or before we hit record, but um, you've been there for 20 years. Yeah, this is our, this is like my 21st year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I always worked in... Um, yeah, yeah. You, you, sorry, yeah, you go on. Oh, well, I didn't have a job <laughs> until I quit the hard on. Yeah. You know, um, I worked in a record shop called Power Station Records in 1990, but that was a, a casual job. Where was that? Uh, it was a Bankstown. Yeah, I bet, yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent many, many dollars through that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just yeah. like a casual. I worked there a couple of days a week, you know. And I um, would have, I would have hand on heart run into, like, you know, you, I wouldn't recognise you, and you wouldn't recognise me, but I hand on heart would have recognised yeah. you. I worked there every every Saturday morning. Yeah, that would like we. My mum and I, my sister would get up, yeah. and if we didn't have a sport, we'd go to the shops. She'd go to the grocery shopping and do whatever, and I'd be like, cool, I'm going to Power Station yeah. and just buying uh, yeah, whatever. I, yeah, I'd work yeah. there. And then, um, you know, um, we were touring so much, I couldn't work there anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, and I certainly didn't need the money. The Huddles were doing really good. Oh, wow, okay. And then we broke up in, 90, at the end of 93, we broke up, and... I spent a fair bit of time not doing anything, yep. you know, because I, you know, we sold our publishing. I was like, oh, I got a bit of money now. I don't have to do anything, and I was bumming around, bumming around. I'm like, oh. Were you burnt out on music? No, no, no. I was dying. I, I, I was just forming a band called Nunchucker Superfly with Blackie. Yep, yeah, yep. I didn't have a job, but I was like, uh, you know, I, I went overseas by myself, um, traveling and stuff like that. I went, I, I, I'm just. I'm just burning through my money. <laughs> this is, this is. I, I'm sooner or later. I'm, I'm going to be down to my last forty thousand dollars. You know, so I better, um, I, I better, I better get a job. So I started working at Power Station Records again, but they had a shop in Miranda. Okay. So I, I worked there for three years, and then did they have an alternative section to Power yeah, Station as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah <clears throat> again, yeah. I remember that one. Just as vivid because yeah. we had relatives who lived over that way, so we'd, I'd, we'd mum and go to Miranda Fair. Yeah, I'd go to I'd go to the alternative section. Yeah, they'd yeah. sell stuff like Rage Against the Machine and Pearl Jam and yep. Nirvana and that kind of stuff. And we, um, I stayed there till '97, and um, a band in America asked me to come over to Cleveland and do do. Ba- play bass for them, you know, for a record. Okay. Yeah, they were called Beatnik Termites. They are okay. like a punk pop band yep. from Cleveland. And a fantastic band. So I was being hired as like a session musician or something. Yep. And they paid me really well. So um, I went, I went, I toured with them as a bass player and uh, around, around the States and it was fascinating. It was really fascinating because I stopped going to punk gigs, yep. you know, and I was in this... You know, here I was, I was like, uh, I was like 31, like 31 years old, I'm playing in this punk pop band, yep. touring around America, um, playing with all these other punk bands and um, it, we, I remember doing a record with them in the studio and uh, the guy owned the studio. The guy who owned the studio, the engineer, was in a band called Squirt Gun. Oh, I know the name. Yeah, and I so it was name, that. Yeah. It was that kind of scene. Yeah, and so I got. I I kind of, um, 
It was that scene, you know, Screeching Weasels, yep. Squirt Gun. Who were the other bands that were popular around that time? Um, Groovy Ghoulies and, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that punk pop sound. Yep. And, of course, there were all these other bands that were like ska punk as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was huge. Mass. I just yeah. couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and on our night, I was like, do you want to go and see a band? I go, yeah. So we went to this club. And, oh, my God, I just couldn't believe it. Everyone's wearing black and white and just, like, dancing like wind-up toys, you know, doing the skank and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I go, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. Is, 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 this is like the rancid effect, you know? Yep. No, 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 yeah, no. Yeah. I just couldn't believe I've never seen so many fucking people <laughs> skank like that. Yeah. I just, I thought, this is fucking fantastic. This is, like... You've died and gone to hell and the house band is like the first, you know, No Doubt record or something, yeah. right? <laughs> this is incredible. What the fuck's this? This sca- nah, nah, nah. It was incredible. Yeah. And um, – So because you <clears throat> you would have – you kind of had moved away from that sound so you would have kind of not seen the morph, I get all that kind of thing coming. I had no idea it was that yeah. big in America. I yeah. had no fucking idea. There's like 500 kids in a small room – all doing a skank. Yeah. And I'm like, this is fucking incredible. And they're having the fucking time of their lives. Yeah. And I'm there going, mate, you're 31. Get out a bit more. Look at these people. They're having the fucking time of their lives yeah, right. skanking. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Never mind that it originated in Jamaica. Yeah. For fuck's yeah. sake. have <laughs> got no idea about Look that. Look at yeah. this. You're in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Fuck me dead. It was amazing. I just, you know, this overflowing cauldron of fucking enthusiasm yeah. and then we went to a party and there was I met a woman I can't remember her name but she was in a band called um, Sleeta Kinney oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I play in a band oh, what are you called oh, Sleeta Kinney I go oh, I never heard of you and then a few years later I go yeah, I see a record in the shop yeah there it's, it is yeah. that's that woman I met at the party right, yeah. oh my god I, I go. I met that. I met that young lady. I met. I met her at a party in 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 Detroit. Yeah, right. And it's like, do you realise how great this band is? I go. Well, I I don't know. I haven't heard. Her. <laughs> I I haven't heard the record. Yeah. But apparently they're like this hugely popular band. Yeah. You know? I I had no idea. I didn't know. And again, I'm looking at myself, going, mate, you're 33. You've got to get out more often. You'll just get left behind. You're a fucking dinosaur. <laughs> what a, and what a weird thought at 33. It, it like, is really weird. I mean, it, I mean yeah. it's, it's weird. Like, I completely understand it. Yeah. I completely understand it. But what other, what other instance would you be a dinosaur? What other occup- occupation or pastime would you be a dinosaur at 33? Well, it's because there's a <clears throat> built-in uh, apartheid. Um, you know, there's apartheid built into the music scene, you know. Yeah. So all the young people over here, all the has-beens over there, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even look at Triple J. Youth Network? Yeah. Youth Network? What about the old farts? What, what did the old farts go? Well, you go to Double J. Double J, yeah, okay? yeah, it's like, yeah. Okay, well, okay, well, so it's apartheid. Yeah. You want people separated, you know? Yeah. So, um, well, right, that's fair enough. If you think that's going to make things easier for you, then run your radio station like that. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not listening to your station. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So well, what do I care, you know? But at the same time, um, something did happen to me and that was um, I, 
I formed a band with Blackie called Nunchaka Superfly because we, we thought, let's do, uh, I mean, the hard-ons were really fun. Yeah. Uh, and we weren't answerable to anyone. But when, when the band did get successful, we were answerable. Yep. Because you put out a record and someone goes, oh, I didn't like that last record. It's like, well, well didn't you? Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got our old records to listen yeah. to if you yeah. don't like the new one. Yeah. Well, we got seven records out. Because yeah, yeah. you can listen to something else, yeah. you know. Well, what do you want us to do, yeah. you know? You know, you got to put out the records that you like. Yeah, but the last record sucked. It's like, oh, did it? I'm sorry. What do you want us to do? <laughs> yeah. Try better next yeah. time. Yeah. So, you know, the whole idea was that, look, Blackie, let's form a band that's absolutely answerable to nobody. I mean, I mean nobody. Let's be so inaccessible but still rock our asses off. How can we do that? And it's like, okay, we'll form this band, Nunchuck, as it fly. So, you know, we'll do things like... The kick, kick drum and the snare drum, replace the kick drum with the snare drum and where the snare drum is, put the kick drum there. And, you know, and maybe for, you know, for that song, the drums can play the bass parts and the bass can play the drum parts. Huh? You know, I'll be the metronome and the drums can f- yeah. move from time, you know. We'll do things like that, you know. Hand on heart. Yes. The loudest band I've ever seen was Nunchucker Super Me too. Me too. Like, it was just too, I'm not blistering. Oh, yeah, like I was blistering. On, I was on stage going, "This gotta be loud. This, yeah. this can't be. This can't be pleasant, can it?" <laughs> oh, it is from where I am. It was like from, as a young kid who's into Friends of Rom yes. and Nancy Vandal yes. and like punk and like you know all that stuff. Seeing and you know hearing the lineage of oh this band's ex Hardons da 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 da, and going oh this this will be interesting going. Yeah. Oh, where the f- like I never bring earplugs, but I'm regretting yeah. it right now. Well, the, the the whole idea is that you know certain sounds don't happen unless you play it at certain volumes. You know, so, yeah, yeah. So yep. it's inaccessible until you play it at a certain volume. Yeah, and yeah, that's yep. the sound we want to pull. You know, yeah. Like, it's like it's not our fault. <laughs> yeah, mission just, accomplished, but yeah. it's just laws of physics. It's not that's our right. fault. You know, you can't <laughs> argue with science. It's all right. You can so, try, but you'll yeah. fail. Yeah. So we with that band, it was. Um, you know, it was like, okay, we might not gonna, we might never be as successful as we'd like, but you know, the whole thing is, you got to be happy, you know. Yeah. So let's play in a band that we're gonna be happy. And then I remember being offered a show with Henry Rollins' band at the Metro. This is the first lineup with Nunchucker Superfly when there was four of us. Yep. So we're playing, and uh, that was uh, that would have been nineteen ninety. Shit, that would have been 96, right? So I would have been 31 then. Yep. 30 going on 31. And I remember... Um, no, no, no. It wasn't 96. It was 95. Okay. Yeah, it was 95 with the first lineup. Yep. So that means I would have been 29 going on 30. Now I remember what, what's going on. I was just about to turn 30. Yep. So I'm standing... Backstage um, with Chris Haskett um, from the Rollins band. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, Tao, the, the, the mixing guy. Okay. And, and, um, and uh, how have you been, Ray? I'm yeah, really good, but I'm, I'm going to turn 30 soon. <laughs> and Tao looked at me and said, You don't look, look at the Rollins band. Those guys couldn't play until they turned 30. And I looked at Chris and I said, Is that true? He goes, until I turned 30, I didn't know what I was doing. When I turned 30, that's when I started getting really good. I yeah. went, okay, so i still got a little bit, a few months before I get actually any good, you know. <laughs> so 
yeah, th- at thirty you start really learning, you know. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the a lot of the kind of superficial crap about playing falls away, and you can you can kind of grasp your instrument more. Does that make sense? Yes, and also also um, <clears throat> experience. Yeah, well, that is, is really hours. it's really um, underrated. Yeah, and uh, I think there's a there's an obsession with the next thing, you know. Yep. And uh, you know what happens when you get old, right? The moment I turned, I don't know, 31, 32, yep. I lost this thing called fear of missing out. Yep. You know, people are going, did you go and see that band, Zeke? I go, Zeke, yeah, yeah, we play with them. Did you see them? I go, no, I didn't. Why not? You play with them and you didn't see them. I go, well, we played first, Nunchaka Superfly. So we played... And then I went next door to get a kebab. And then, <laughs> why did you do that? Because I was hungry. Yeah. Right. It was dinner time. I'm so hungry. Yeah, what are you going to do? I went back upstairs to the venue and the band was just finishing their last song. So I went up to the bass player and said, are you playing anymore? No, that's it. I go, how long did you play for? 20 minutes. Yeah, 20 go, minutes, yeah. Well, that's how long it took me to eat the kebab. <laughs> Fucking hell. I went next door, had a kebab. I'm watching you play. I'm wiping the grease from my mouth. I'm there going, this sounds really good. Thank you. Good night. That's it. I'm like, far out. And I, saw, I, I, I told my friend, that's what happened. I didn't see them. Yeah. I just saw like maybe 30 seconds of the last it. song. Yeah, yeah. And he said, well, God, you missed out. I go, yeah, I missed out. But guess what? I don't have a fear of missing out. Yeah. It's gone. It's left the building. What can you yep. say? Yep. I shedded you know, that one a while ago. Well, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. I miss, I miss seeing Zeke. It's, you know, I'm still alive. Do you, did you like Zeke? Oh, they were great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 30 yeah. seconds I saw, they were fantastic. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, incredible. <laughs> and I did, I did think, oh, jeez, I wish I saw that. Yeah. Well, you know, the kebab was really nice. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I feel you. Look at me. I feel you. I know food, okay? Mate, <laughs> it's all lips and assholes, but yeah. it's delicious. There you go. Yeah. Um, Unless, has there anything else you want to kind of touch on? Like, not really. No, no that's good. I've, yeah, I've really yeah. enjoyed this, mate. I hope you have too, as well. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just have to call you later and go cut that out. Yeah, cut that yeah, out. Cut that cut out. Cut that yeah, out. yeah, that's not good. <laughs> Leave the kebab out. <laughs> so let's uh, let's just let's just pick a song. So the concept of this, the last track, yes, is like. It's what what you kind of identify as like what your kind what your go to is now musically, and you know you've been spent you spent many years. We talked about before you hit record that you worked in the jazz uh, the jazz department of HMV. Right. Um, you've done a whole you know you, your musical scope would be fucking astronomical. The kind of concept of the last jam is like what kind of sums you up musically today, or like you know in twenty twenty. Are you listening to a lot of stuff? Are you are you revisiting old stuff that oh. you haven't listened to in years? Are you are you trying to find new stuff that you missed back then? Oh, like you know well, you know who I love. Go on, I love Sun Ra. Have you heard Sun Ra? He's on my list. Oh mate, you're you're the second person oh. to pick Sun Ra. Yeah, and I've got a. I think I'm not ready. I don't think I'm ready for it yet. Oh, you got to play a Sun Ra song. Yeah, by all yeah. means, by all yeah. means. Yeah. See, what, what happened was um, the way I discovered Sun Ra was through MC5. I love MC5. Okay, yeah. Because, I mean, they were my childhood hero. Yeah. You know? 
I mean, in Australia, what happens in Australia is this, right? You fall in love with the Saints yep. and Radio Birdman and the birthday party. That, that's a th- big three. Yep. The trilogy. For, for, for somebody my age, yep. and I'm just, believe it or not, you're in your late 30s. Yep. And I'm in my mid 50s. Yep. That's a lifetime of difference. Oh, mate. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So my heroes are, are Radio Birdman, The Saints, and The Birthday Party. It's those three <coughs> bands. They're the big three yep. in the underground Australian scene. So through those bands, you discover other things. So things like, you know, you, you might look at things like Scott Walker, Captain Beefheart. Uh, Leonard Cohen, you would discover those things through the birthday party, you know. Yeah, yep. You would discover things like uh, MC5 and the Stooges through Radio Birdman. Yep. And through the Saints, you'll discover things like the Missing Links, whom they covered on their first record, you know. So you discover this uh, this lineage uh, to other other musical worlds. Yep. And then once you discover MC5 through the Radio Birdman, yep. you discover Sun Ra because... They covered Sun Ra on the first MC5 record, you know. So they, they covered Sun Ra yeah. on, on the live album, Kick Out the Jams. So you go, oh, I've got to check out Sun Ra. And the first time you listen to them, you go back into your bedroom, you curl up in a fetal position, yeah. you start <laughs> sucking your thumb, crying. Yeah. Because up until that moment, you think, man, I've got punk sussed out. And then you just go, I'm just a pussy. Listen to it. <laughs> it's, it's, a phen- it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It is otherworldly. Yeah. So this is a guy who, Sun Ra, he, um, he basically arranged music for people like Fletcher Henderson and then all of a sudden he's got John Gilmore in his orchestra who influenced John Coltrane. You know, this... Yep. Incredibly influential saxophone player. And then he'll be in a van going to a gig and he'll say to the band members, today you will play drums. And then he'll say, but I'm a saxophone player. I, I play the tenor sax. He says, but you're playing drums tonight. So, but I've never played drums. He says, good. You're an artist. Give me something. So if you're an artist, you yeah. know how to express yourself. You'll make art out of whatever That's right. the So, is. So... I'm not giving you the chance to go to the default setting of training. You're going to bypass training and your default setting and you'll have to dig deep to come up with expression because you don't, you're unfamiliar with that instrument. So if you're a musician, you can play every instrument on the planet because you're a musician. The only thing is once you start getting good, once you start getting training, you press a button that says default and you're on autopilot. Yeah. I don't want to hear your crap from autopilot. I want you to express yourself. Yeah. I'm making you play drums. And the guy's going, oh, fuck, what's this going to sound like? It's going to sound like 20 arseholes falling down the stairs <laughs> with instruments. Yeah. But it's, the, the concept is just fucking phenomenal. So I'm doing this album with Nunchuck and Superfly. Superfly. Blackie comes up and he says, you're playing lead guitar on the first song. Am I? Who's playing bass then? Oh, I am. Oh, are you? But I'm the bass player. Well, not, not for the first song. Who's playing guitar? Well, you are. Can I play a lead? I want you to play a lead. Okay. Well, I'm not... The, well, that's so what we did. is this for a song that was already recorded and released? No, no. We were going in the studio. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah so yeah, we're yeah. doing our fourth album. Yep. And the very first song, I'm playing lead guitar on it. 
I've never played lead guitar yeah. in public, you know. I can just barely play like a couple of open chords and sing to my daughter. That's it. Yeah. He made me play lead guitar on it. What do you think it sounds like? <laughs> sounds like an Asian guy falling down the stairs with a guitar in his hands. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's expression, right? Yeah. So it, it's it's incredible concept. And he was so far ahead of his time and so far out that, you know, when you bypass this whole need to be part of some kind of music uh, industry, you know, the moment you go, I'm not going to be a music industry foot soldier, I'm just going to play music. It doesn't matter if there's two people or two billion people watching me, I'm just going to play. Um, you know, then, then you're a bit closer to purity yeah. of what you can express. And I, it's, it's the only thing that's driving me to play music because God knows we're not making money. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, you must be rich by now, right? It's like, oh, am I? Yeah. You're Are you serious? <laughs> Are you kidding? Okay, look, for every Dandy Warhols and you too, for every powder finger and um, split ends, there's, there's, there's irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> there's Nunchucker Superfly, you know? <laughs> there's limitless <laughs> bands that never, yes. never got anywhere. That's right. Yeah. There's Fur from Queensland. There's, there's, like, there's bands that, that played incredibly good music. Yeah. But you know you're not gonna you're not gonna pay the mortgage off with it. Yeah. So the moment you unshackle yourself from this idea of a music industry, this it's 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 the liberation is incredible. You know, it's so that it's completely seductive. The whole idea that you're just you know, I mean, when I was a kid, I just go right. That's my weekend. I've got bits of paper. And I'm just gonna draw. You're not gonna have an exhibition. You're just drawing. You know, yeah. just having fun. What are you going to do on the weekend? Play music. In front of who? Oh, I don't know. How many people are going to be at your gig? Well, who cares? Yeah. yeah. Just, you just have to be good for yourself. It's just completely intoxicating. So, you know, for that reason, Sun Ra is he's, he's, he's my hero. You know, the whole idea that he could put out music that is that obscure and that uncompromising, it's completely intoxicating. It's it's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, so it's, you should hear it. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I've tried <clears throat> several times. Oh my god, it's incredible. Yeah. You know. Is there a, is there a song? Like yeah. is there a yeah. Yeah. Um there's a song there's an album called um uh My Brother the Wind Part 2. <laughs> Was there a part 1? Yes. Okay. Not right. as it's not as good. Not as good. Part, two, <laughs> yeah. part My Brother the Wind Part 2. Track number two. Okay. You like it. Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. You'll have to have a shower after you listen to it. It's so good. <laughs> Mate, this has been better than I could have ever Oh, made. good. And good. I'm, look, I hope you had fun because I fucking had the greatest time. Oh, good. So, yeah, okay. I really appreciate Should it. Should we wrap that up? Because I've got to go and buy a um, couple it. of Lego things for my kids from uh, Big W. <sighs> I told them... I told them... Um, well, because of the pandemic, they close at six now. No, they don't. <laughs> no, don't. They close at nine now. I checked on Google. Yeah. I go, oh, shit. Of course you did. Yeah. What Lego are they into? Uh, they're into like, um, uh, you know, uh, like my son wants me to get him an ice cream truck. So you've got to build an ice cream truck. Uh, yep, done that one. Yep, yeah. Yep. So How old is your son? Uh, four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he he can't do it all by himself. Oh, no, yeah. But, but he, he likes the yeah, he gets, construction. Yeah, he, he gets his... Um, 
uh, sister who's seven yep. to help him. And I go, look, I've bought you some Lego. He goes, yeah, but it's Duplo. It's for little babies. I go, but yeah. you're four. He goes, I'm not a baby. I go, you're right. When you're four, you're not quite a baby, no. you know. Yeah. So I don't, we'll, we'll probably just give that Duplo stuff away yeah. to some kids, you know. We, that my son is, he's three and a half. Yeah. That's his, like, <clears throat> I say to him, hey, yeah. buddy, I've got to go yeah. to work when mm. I've got to go to work. Yeah. Hey, buddy, I've got to go to work. Mm. Um, you know, daddy's got to go make money so mm. we can buy food and yeah. pay for the lights. Yeah. And he goes, and me, Lego? Lego, yeah. 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 Of okay. course. Let's, let's yeah. get you Lego as well. Let's prioritise that. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. 
Everybody knows. And everybody knows. 
Everybody knows that's how it goes. 